0: We begin a new midweek series tonight, and this is called Fixer Upper. And you may recognize that name. Uh, you might recognize it as the American reality television series about home design and home renovation that aired on the HGTV network between 2013 and 2017. You might recognize it from that. That series starred Chip and Joanna Gaines, a married couple who own a home renovation and redecoration business in Waco, Texas. The Fixer Upper became very popular soon after its debut, and the series, this is amazing, that series is largely credited with the rise in popularity of a style of decorating, which is actually called farmhouse chic. And if you have farmhouse chic decorating in your house, it might trace back to this. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. But it actually gave rise to a style in design, interior design over the last few years, and that's kind of incredible. One Seattle-based real estate company called Zillow, they reported that homes with architectural features that were mentioned on this show, like wainscoting, shiplap, clawfoot bathtubs, and barn doors, those homes that had those features sold at an average of 30% above expected value in the year after the show's final season. Some homes featured on the show became hot rental properties on Airbnb, and at least one home later sold for more than $1 million. And in addition to all of that, the show generated an increase in tourism and economic development in Waco, Texas. It impacted a whole city where the show was filmed. And I hear through the grapevine in studying and looking over the internet that the show actually may be making a reoccurrence, reappearance in 2021. And for some of you, that's almost like a sign of the times or something. You'll enjoy that. But the term fixer-upper actually didn't begin with the gains as it's actually older than that. The dictionary defines fixer-upper as number one, something that is in dire need of repair, but it's more of a hobby to fix it up than a job. Or number two, it is also, fixer-upper means a person who is handy at making repairs. Use it in a sentence, Pastor Jack is a fixer-upper. That would be a good sentence for that. The first reference to a building being a fixer-upper actually appears to be an advertisement for a house it occurred and appeared in the Los Angeles Times in October 1948 and this is the ad fixer-upper 17,000 double four rooms each one bedroom and one wall bed tile and hardwood and they abbreviated a bunch of those words that probably was the beginning of texting I don't know Prior to that, a fixer-upper wasn't just a building. It was a person who fixes things. And one early example comes from a tribute that was written in a North Dakota newspaper, the Bismarck Tribune. And this is much earlier, October 1932. And here's what they said about some guy that they were given credit to. With the ink hardly dry on his accomplishment as champion batsman of the National League, it will be necessary now to add... To his resume, photographer, bicycler, and all-around fixer-upper. Now today, we typically think of a fixer-upper as a rundown house, but it might also be your car or anything else in your life that is past its prime, but could be returned to its former glory simply by putting in some time and some effort to repair it. Now, every once in a while, and you have to be very, very careful with this website, but every once in a while, when I'm looking for definitions, I check the Urban Dictionary. And the Urban Dictionary, with a very tongue-in-cheek flair, it adds its unique perspective in defining fixer-upper. Number one, it is a real estate agent's classic sales pitch when the house is a total wreck. It's a fixer-upper. Or two, this is awesome, it's a total loser of a guy that a girl tries to make into an ideal boyfriend. He's a fixer-upper. Some of you married men in this room right now, you just received a revelation that has followed you for years and you didn't even know about it. That last definition is kind of a little humorous, but it's that humorous definition that may actually hit closest to home. Because relationships, brothers and sisters, relationships, my dear friends, they need restoration sometimes. Just like any old familiar house that needs some serious work to repair its flaws and renew its potential, every once in a while, our family relationships need a makeover. Not just a bit of curb appeal to try to impress the neighbors, but the kind of transformation that starts on the inside, deep within the structure. And that really is possible with a little bit of effort from you and a little bit of help from God's word. Now the principles we'll discuss in this series will work for any relationship, not just marriage. And they will work whether you are a Christian or not. But I got to tell you, and you would expect me to say this as a pastor, it's just easier if you are a Christian because then you not only have God's word to teach you these principles, but you have God's help through his spirit to let you live them. And that makes all the difference in the world when life becomes difficult. And how many have lived long enough to know that sometimes life does become difficult. We have challenges, we have setbacks, we sometimes experience failures, we have tensions, all of that. Now physically, the most important part of the house, the building that you live in, wherever and whatever it is, the most important part of the house is the part you can't see very well. It's the foundation. It is the lowest load-bearing part of any building And it's typically out of sight, below ground level. But if the foundation isn't strong, even the most beautiful buildings will have no end of issues. Cracking ceilings, sinking walls, buckling floors, all that kind of stuff. And the entire building ends up being a disaster area if the foundation isn't done right. And Jesus, no less, he said that just like a foundation is the most important part of the building you live in, even though you don't always see it right off, he said having the right foundation is equally important in our spiritual lives. Here's what he said. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings, this is important, and doeth them, We come to Jesus and we hear his sayings every week in church when a preacher uh, quotes the Bible to us and explains it. But Jesus said, it's not just the people who come to me and hear my sayings. It's the people that actually do what I tell them to do. He said, I'll show you what they're like. He's like a man which built a house and digged deep. Everyone say deep. And he laid the foundation on a rock. And then when disasters came, when the flood arose, The stream beat vehemently on that house, but it couldn't even shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. Everyone say, foundation. So that's the foundation of the house. But Jesus said, he that heareth and doeth not. So they might come to church, they might call themselves a Christian, they might attend Bible study, but they don't actually do everything the Bible says. He that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth. He took a shortcut. He didn't dig deep. He didn't put a foundation on a rock to hold that house. He just built a structure on the earth, on the ground, against which the same stream, the same storm, beat vehemently, and immediately, when the pressure came, when the tension came, when the issue came, when the trouble came, it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now, Jesus was a carpenter, the Bible tells us, but Jesus wasn't talking about building a physical house there. He was talking about our lives, and if our lives are founded on the right things, if our homes have a foundation that is dug properly, then we can manage the storms of life. I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about every human relationship. Tonight, I want to talk to you about that foundation for every single relationship that you are part of. Husband and wife, parent and child, siblings, friends, neighbors, coworkers, church members, everybody. Without this principle actively working below the surface of your life, even the strongest and happiest relationships can become warped into something that is very fragile and excruciatingly miserable. And the foundation that every good relationship is built upon, bar none. The foundation that your life must be built upon, the foundation that keeps marriages together and families together and friendships together and every other kind of relationship together, that foundation is one thing that you may have heard the word but we don't really do it very well. That foundation is forgiveness. The issue of forgiveness touches every single one of us every single day. Occasionally, it comes in the the face or in the shape of a major crisis. And the major crisis that hits our life forces us to choose between two options. Am I going to forgive or am I going to hold a grudge? And it could be major. It could be something tragic, it could be a travesty. It could be an unfaithful spouse or an unwanted divorce or an unfair termination from your job. It could be something terribly tragic, sexual abuse you experienced as a child or as a young person. But if we're honest, brothers and sisters, most of the time the issues we are dealing with are far less serious than that, most of the time. We all have the crises that come into our lives unwanted and uninvited. But most of the time, day to day, we're not dealing with major stuff. If we're honest, we're actually dealing with fairly routine, regular, and even minor stuff. Being overlooked by a friend or a fight with your spouse on the way to the first Wednesday night of family month series or an imagined insult in a conversation and you just can't let go of it, or a misunderstanding at work with a colleague, or an underlying tension in some relationship that has just gone on and on and on for so very long, far too long. Whether it's major or minor, all too often the only fix for relationship issues is to dig all the way down to the foundation of the house And get that right first. Otherwise, restoration is impossible because you will be trying to build on the shifting sand of human emotions and your emotions are as fickle as anything else you can imagine. Your emotions are conditioned by what people say. Your emotions are conditioned by what you read or what you see or what you encounter. Your emotions are conditioned, believe it or not, by some of the things you eat. Some people, you know, they're up having traumatic visions and dreams in the middle of the night, and it's just too much pizza before bed. And Beverly would tell you if you switched to something green, it would all go away, but she's wrong. You need more ice cream in your life. That's what you need. That's, that would help you. Make you sweet. Restoration's impossible unless you dig all the way down and you get the foundation right. Because you'll just be building on shifting, sinking sands. And they're subject to collapse. Everything you build without the right foundation is subject to collapse when the storms of life come or when they get too intense. You have to dig past surface talk, simplistic ideas, and shallow solutions. You have to dig down far enough and long enough to get to the heart of the matter. And here's the hard part, and here's why people don't do this, and here's why we have so many relationships in our lives that are falling apart or a disaster. Because sometimes you have to do all the digging all by yourself because that other person is unaware or unwilling or maybe even unable to help you repair the damage that has been caused. And this is why one of the most basic hindrances to forgiveness is the fear of further abuse. As human beings, we have a legitimate concern that if I forgive them, that just gives them blanket permission to hurt me even more deeply in the future. I would at least like them to show me some remorse before I forgive them. At least say you're sorry. At least shed a tear. At least grovel just a bit, and then I'll forgive you. But you haven't, so I won't. And it was that kind of fear, a legitimate fear, that probably prompted this question from Peter to Jesus. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often do I let my brother sin against me and I still forgive him? Now, there was a rabbi in Jesus' day that said three times a day forgiving someone for the same offense was really good. So Peter just gave Jesus twice the going rate of forgiveness, plus a little bit. He said, Lord, how many times should I let somebody do the same thing to me and I forgive them? Seven times? See, Peter believed, like every one of you do, that there must surely be some limit to forgiveness. There must be some kind of limitation on forgiveness to prevent being taken advantage of in the future. Why would you ever just let them off the hook? Whether they be your spouse, your kids, your parents, your siblings, your friends, your co-workers, fellow saints in the church, whoever, your neighbors, why would you just let them off the hook? without first reminding them of the wrong that they did, all of it in excruciating detail, and requiring sincere remorse from them up front, and you better cry, and demanding restitution in the future for what they did to you in the past. See, that's what Peter's asking. Peter's saying to Jesus, Jesus, Lord, isn't there something fundamentally unfair In you telling me to forgive others when they haven't even bothered to say, I'm sorry. Or worse, they haven't even noticed that they hurt me. And they go on with their life and here I am sitting in the dark feeling bad. Jesus could have argued with Peter. Jesus knew a little bit about forgiveness. But he didn't argue with Peter. He just answered his question by making one astounding statement. And then he told one of his famous stories. Here's the statement. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, not seven times a day, Peter, but until 70 times seven. Some Bible translations, some of the newer ones, they say, 70 times 7, like the King James Version. Some say 77. And people say, well, what's that? It's not an error, it's an expression. A Hebrew expression that comes to us through the Greek New Testament into English. It's not an error, it's an expression. It isn't a number, it's a principle. It isn't a math problem, it's an a miraculous solution. And here it is from Jesus himself. When Jesus said 70 times seven, here's what he's saying. He's not saying a number because Peter would probably get to that number and they say, there, I did it, Jesus. Jesus is saying, here's what you do, Peter. Not seven times, not 77 times, not 490 times, 70 times seven. No, not that. You forgive as many times as it takes to get through the situation. Now that takes some real Christian living to do that. And then after Jesus gives that astounding statement, and he probably paused to let it sink in, and Peter was probably every bit as quiet as you are right now, and he probably stared at Jesus the way many of you are staring at me, Right now, and then after Jesus let that sink in just a moment, like I'm letting it sink in for just a moment, Jesus told one of his famous stories. Therefore, is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants, and when that king had begun to reckon, he went to the royal treasury, he went to his accountants and he began to reckon, and when he begun to reckon, One of the servants was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. Now, you can try to study that and figure it out if you want, but let's just say it was a million dollar debt. It was a lot of money. But for as much as the servant had nothing to pay that debt with, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and for payment to be made. Every last penny. And the servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, King, please have patience with me and I'll figure it out, but I need time. I'll figure it out, but I need some years to do this. I'm just a poor servant. Have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And at that moment, something happens in Jesus' story that turns everything around. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion And he loosed him and he forgave him the debt. The Greek word that is translated forgive in your Bible, it means a release from some kind of obligation. That's what it means. And most commonly, it's a financial obligation. And this is why every time Jesus went to explain forgiveness to anybody, he always referred to the world of finance because that's how the word Is translated, that's what it means. And that's how Jesus most often illustrated this concept of forgiveness. So, review the story with me. In Jesus' story, this king has every right to be repaid. He is the innocent party. He loaned money in good faith, the servant wasted it, squandered it, lost it, whatever. He has a right to be repaid. He is the innocent party. And then in Jesus' story, notice this, that the servant, he has an obligation to repay because he's the guilty person. And it doesn't matter how poor he is or how long he'll have to work. He has an obligation to repay the debt that he incurred with the king. But here's the problem in Jesus' story. And by the way, here's the problem in your life. You just don't realize it maybe yet. That servant didn't have nearly enough resources to pay his debt. He didn't. He couldn't save it. He couldn't earn it. He couldn't get it from investments because he had none. That servant didn't have nearly enough resources to pay that debt. And then the punchline of Jesus' story is that gracious king chose to cover the loss himself. Somebody had to take a loss. It was either gonna be that servant who took the loss, and he should have because he incurred the debt. Somebody had to cover the loss. So the king chose to cover the loss himself and forgive that servant. End of story, but not end of application. That king, he could have made a trip Every single day to the debtor's prison. He could have personally supervised the punishment of that servant all by himself. He could have said, move aside guards, give me that whip. He could have said, I want you to hit him again. He could have said, string him up by those chains. I want to watch him be beat to a pulp. He could have done that. He could have spent time every week devising all sorts of penalties or even torture to make sure that that servant realized the full weight of his offense. And he could have made sure, he was the king, he could have made sure that that servant suffered everything he needed to suffer for his wrong. That king could have paid a visit monthly to the royal treasurer and he could have said, tell me again, how much does he owe? Tell me again, has he paid anything? No, king. I didn't think so. He's, he's a scoundrel. Uh, he, he, he doesn't have any ethics. He's immoral. He's wrong. He could have gone over that every single month with the royal treasurer. Did he make a small payment? No, nothing, king. That king could have published a decree throughout all of his kingdom in his own defense. He could have let everybody know about the situation. He could have humiliated that servant and humiliated his family by just issuing one royal decree that told the whole sordid tale about how that servant had done wrong and that servant shouldn't have taken that money and he shouldn't have wasted all that and he does owe me and he should pay. He had the power after all. He was the king. And the servant had done wrong after all. So that king would have been totally 100% justified to do exactly that. He could have done it. And friends, this is where the rubber meets the road in every kind of relationship that is here in this sanctuary tonight. This is where the rubber meets the roads for husbands and wives. This is where the rubber meets the road for parents and children, for siblings, for friends and neighbors and coworkers. This is where the rubber meets the road for those of us that call ourselves Christian and we come to the same church and we're church members of the same church family, but this is where the rubber meets the road in our relationships. This is the foundation of every single successful relationship, bar none. If you don't have this foundation... Your relationships will be a disaster. You will leave behind a trail of all kinds of confusion and disarray. And you will feel so twisted and so angry and so sad and so frustrated in yourself. And it's all because you need a little fixer-upper. You need to dig down deep and find the foundation of forgiveness and make sure it's solid in your life. Now, think about this with me for a minute. Realistically, what alternative did that king have? What alternative to forgiving that servant did he actually have? No, he didn't have to release the servant. But think, would his imprisonment have resulted in even $1 being returned to that king? And the answer is obviously no. No. So was there any advantage to be gained by demanding that that servant remain behind bars and be punished for the rest of his life? Was there any advantage to be gained for that king? Absolutely none. That king, in Jesus' famous story, was smart enough to realize two things. Number one, I am holding an un. Collectible debt. There's no way anybody can pay me back. Nobody else in the kingdom is going to, and the man who owes me and the man who should, he can't. So I'm holding an uncollectible debt. Many people, maybe somebody here, you struggle with offering forgiveness because you're unaware that you are holding in your hand or in your heart an uncollectible debt. What could they actually do that would pay you back for the wrong and the loss and the pain and the hurt you have suffered? What could they possibly do? If they talk about it, it makes it worse because then more people know. If they try to fix it, you feel worse because nothing they can come up with actually pays you back. So you're holding in your heart an uncollectible debt. You may have written it down for years, point after point, conversation after conversation, wrong after wrong, hurt after hurt. I've said it often about married couples. Married couples don't fall out of love. That's a country song. Married couples fall out of forgiveness. And when they do, it's all downhill. But it's not just married couples, it's friends, it's siblings, it's parents and kids. There are parents that reach a point with their kids, their kids have been so disrespectful, their kids have been so rebellious that they just want to write them off forever. You're a parent. You don't get permission to write your kids off forever. Your heavenly father didn't write you off forever. So you don't write your kids off forever. But there are some kids in our church whose parents are a living, walking, talking disaster. Their lifestyle hurts their kids in so many ways. But those kids, do you know what we teach them? Forgive your mom and dad. Pray for your mom and dad. And try your best to serve Jesus. Relationships are messy. Relationships sometimes need restoration. Many people hold in their heart an uncollectible debt. They struggle with forgiveness. They think somehow, someday, if they talk about it enough and talk to others about it and think about it enough, and somehow they'll get paid back. But they're holding a worthless debt. They mistakenly believe that somewhere, someday, somehow, there is some payment they will be able to extract from their offender that will compensate for their loss. Now I get it, they want justice, but the truth is that very few people in your lives and in mine actually have the resources to pay for their offenses against us. If they try to take the words back, it becomes worse. You can't unwrite a letter. You can't unmake a phone call. And there's some kind of foolish thing some of you use at work. You know, you want to recall an email. I've already read it before you tried to recall it. So I know what you said before you recalled it. It doesn't work. And if you post something online, it's on there forever. What could somebody do to pay you back And the reality is, very little. I've counseled people as a pastor who are still angry at somebody who's no longer on this planet. They died. We had their funeral and buried them in the ground. But somebody's still all twisted up in a knot in their spirit. That's not hurting them. That's hurting you. You're holding in your heart an uncollectible debt single parents and husbands and wives and kids and siblings and all you people that live in a home and call yourself some version of a family. And there are many versions of a family, by the way, apostolics. And the longer we live up until the coming of the Lord, the more permutations of the family there are going to be. And so if you've got an attitude like the only families that count are the families that grew up just like yours with a mom and dad and 2.5 kids and you've got another thought coming, Jesus reaches every kind of family. Jesus can use every kind of family. Jesus wants to be right in the middle of every kind of family. He wants to be in the, the, the middle of messed up families and divorced families and blended families and all kinds of families. So you just need to park your attitude and let God be God and let God's people rise to their potential in the Holy Ghost. But all of you people in all of those kinds of families, when you keep score, you hurt your family. When you've got a long list in your brain of everything everybody's ever said wrong, done wrong, thought wrong, bought wrong, you are messing your life up. You don't have the foundation right. No wonder it's shaky. You don't have the foundation right. No wonder you can come home in the wrong mood and blow the whole house up because you don't have the foundation right. That's why. You say, well, if they deserve, they should pay me back. I deserve to get paid back. You are holding, sir, you are holding, ma'am, in your heart and in your hand an uncollectible debt. Debt. If they could somehow make that one right, you'd come up with another one. If they could somehow untwist that one, you'd come up with another one because it's not them and it's not that, it's the foundation under your home. Not cement. Forgiveness. That king was smart enough to realize two things. Number one, I'm holding an uncollectible debt. It doesn't matter how mad I get about it. It doesn't matter how depressed I get about it. It doesn't matter how much I scheme to get around it, or how much I demand of that other that servant. It doesn't matter. I am holding an uncollectible debt. He was smart enough to realize that, and he was smart enough to realize something else. I'm a king. I have a kingdom to run. I can't afford to spend the rest of my life thinking about what somebody did wrong against me 30 years ago. I'm a king, and I've got a kingdom to run. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, the only sensible option is to cut our losses and walk away. Instead of being preoccupied with a hopeless situation. And no, I'm not talking about turfing your family. Here, Beverly, I did it right. Don't be so stupid. <laughs> Wasn't in the pulpit. I'm not talking about turfing your family and turfing your kids. and That's insane. Sometimes you need to walk away before you start talking. Sometimes you need to walk away before you start arguing back. Sometimes you need to walk away and you don't walk away in a huff and slam the door and leave the house. You walk away and find yourself a little corner somewhere and instead of rebuking them, repent to Jesus and you will fix your marriage. You will fix your friendship. You will fix all kinds of things if you talk more to God about them than you do talking to them about your feelings. Your feelings are treacherous. Your feelings aren't right probably 75% of the time. And yet, you talk to people about your feelings all the time. You are hurting yourself when you talk about your feelings all the time. Pastors aren't supposed to say this, so I'm going to. Most of the time, your feelings are totally irrelevant, The word of God is what is relevant in your life. You might feel depressed, but the word of God says, I am more than a conqueror through Christ. You may feel defeated, but the Bible tells us we are victors in Christ. You might feel like you can't, but his word says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So your feelings most of the time are irrelevant. And there, now that I've offended you, I'll continue on and close every one of us, are going to have many situations arise in our lives, listen carefully, where we are far more concerned about somebody's obligation to us than they are. You're concerned about it. They're not that concerned about it. And so that makes you angry. And so you clutch your little list of offenses. But the problem is, if you hold on to those offenses, you, in effect, become an emotional hostage to somebody else in your life. Only the foundation, only forgiveness frees us to get on with our life. One of the best reasons to forgive someone is not what it does for them, it's what it does for you. You say, if I forgive them, they get to be free. No, no, no. If you forgive them, you get to be free. Your home gets to be free. Your marriage and your friendships get to be free. You have better things to do with your life. You have better things to do in your home than rehearse and rehash all these old grievances. I know your wife didn't do it right 35 years ago and she needs to be reminded. Would you drop that? I know that your friend didn't acknowledge your feelings at the right proper time and they should understand and they should have been more sympathetic and so you go off in a pout And you lose a friend because your friend didn't do everything right. How dumb is that? Sorry, Beverly. The the list of words I can say in the pulpit is shrinking the longer I'm married to Beverly. Don't say that. She told me the other day, stop saying to people, listen to me. I said, I want them to listen to me. She said, don't say it that way. Would you, dear people, politely incline your ear toward the pulpit? And if there happens to be, I don't know how to say that, listen to me. I said, I'm preaching the Bible. They need to listen to me. She said, say it a different way. I forgive you. And see, that's the problem right there. Sometimes when we forgive somebody, we can't actually do it without having our moment in the spotlight, our rehearsing of the whole situation, letting other people know about it, making it so big and so dramatic. Some of us are addicted to drama. We're addicted to drama. We, we, we just think that if we can't kind of upset the apple cart and cause a little tension, we haven't had a good day. What an immature way to live. What a counterproductive way to exist. How hurtful and harmful to the people that you say are important to you. That king was smart enough to realize two things. Number one, I'm holding an uncollectible debt. It doesn't matter how mad I get, how sad I get, or how long I hold on to it. It's uncollectible. It's never going to be put right by me demanding payback. He was smart enough to figure that out. God helps some of us to be smart enough to figure that out, that we're holding an uncollectible debt. You can argue about it over your kitchen table for the next 15 years. You can bring it up every few months. You can go back and tell them how wrong they were and how much it hurt. It is not going to help anything. It is not gonna bless your home. It is gonna curse your home with all kinds of tension and grievance, and it's gonna fray and fracture the most important relationships in your life. Don't do that. That king was smart enough to realize I'm holding an uncollectible debt. And he was also smart enough to realize wait a minute, he did wrong. I should be owed that money, but I'm a king. I am not gonna waste my time walking down to the prison house every day for the rest of my reign checking on whether he's been punished enough or whether somebody else finally figured it out that he's wrong and I'm right. I'm a king. I've got a kingdom to run. Can I tell you dear people in here tonight, you're a child of the king and we've got a kingdom to build and we've got far too much to do than to waste our time destroying our relationships with unforgiveness. So it's time to dig way down and do some restoration work because the foundation of every successful relationship is forgiveness. Because he was a king, he chose to do the right thing. Kathy, come on back. And because you were a child of the king, I encourage you to do the right thing. Every time Jesus talks about forgiveness... In the Holy Scripture, he always compares it to a financial debt. You know why? Because finances is not emotional. It has nothing to do with emotion. It's written right there in black and white. He owes me. They owe me. She owes me. It's finances. Anybody with a brain can figure out, you're right, they're wrong. You should be paid back. They do owe you. Anybody with a brain can figure that out. So Jesus talks about finances when he talks about forgiveness. And here's why. (laughs) So we can lead us to his glorious, helpful, miraculous punchline. And the punchline is this. that That king said, I'm a king. I got better things to do with my life. I've got more important things to do with my time. I'm a king. I got a kingdom to run. And so that king, he tore up that debt. That's how Jesus explains forgiveness. You don't have to feel right to forgive. You don't have to forget it to forgive. You don't have to have some emotional moment. No, you don't have to have some big spiritual release. No, forgiveness is just a choice. If it keeps coming up in your brain tomorrow, you just tear it up again. I refuse to live today concentrating on that. I refuse to live today treating them like they treated me. I refuse to live today being hostage to somebody that doesn't live in my brain. I refuse. I'm a child of the king. I got a kingdom to be part of. I got a kingdom to build. And that's how Jesus, brothers and sisters, always explained forgiveness like that. Get rid of it. Brush it off. Throw it down. Leave it behind. That's how he always explained forgiveness. Not an emotion. Not a feeling. A choice to say. My life and my joy and my peace and my future is far too important. Than for me to be picking up the pieces and trying to patch them all together and remind somebody or tell somebody. or Forgiveness, brothers and sisters, is a royal choice. It is the choice of children of the king. You can restore your relationships. Every one of them. But you don't know our marriage. You don't know our home. You don't know the relationship I have with my kids. You can restore your relationship if you are willing to forgive. Here's what we say. Well, it takes two to tangle. It takes two to fight. Yeah, it does. But it only takes one to forgive. It doesn't take two. And if you're a Christian, not only does common sense beg you to forgive, Not only does your joy and peace of mind instruct you to forgive, but if you're actually a Christian, and if you actually say, I believe and live by the Bible, then you have an additional motivation that people in the world don't have. Jesus said, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you but if you buckle up and buckle in and buckle down and you say, I won't forgive them, if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That's strong. That's not only strong, that's helpful. That right there could help every home, every friendship, every relationship, and every kind of church like ours. And every person that's watching online, everybody that's got a church, and you're in that church family, you got family issues and problems, that right there will help you. If you'll forgive them, God sweeps into your life. You see, I know that the list is so big and so long that they committed against you. I got one list that's longer. It's the list of sins you committed against God. And if He was willing to forgive you of that, you can forgive them of this. You can. You say, I can't. I don't have the strength. That's why you need Jesus. I told you, all these principles work no matter if you're a Christian or not, but it's exponentially easier if you're a Christian because you have God's Spirit inside of you to help you. It's so incredibly the foundation of forgiveness no relationship can survive for very long without it and Jesus will help you do it if you'll ask him he really will would you lift your hands right now in the presence of the Lord and I know this has been an unusual way to start foundations aren't pretty or pleasant there are a lot of work to dig out And we started with the foundation tonight. So it's not pretty like the walls and it's not pretty like the windows. No, it's just down in the dirt. It's just digging way deep. But if you get this right, everything else you build, God's gonna be able to bless it. Lift up your hands, church, and lift up your voice. And if you're watching online, I invite you to join us right now, wherever you're seated, wherever you're watching this and just pray for a moment. I wanna pray for everybody here. I'm not asking you to confess confess some long list of sins right now. I'm asking you to just worship God right now. Everybody in the room, if you'd lift up praise to God, because in that praise flows the love of God, and in that worship flows the mercy of God, and in that sweep of his sweet spirit flows the forgiveness of God. And if you could forgive, you could change your life. If you could forgive, you could change your home. If you could forgive, you could change everything relationship Lord Jesus right now I pray for these sweet people that have listened to me for the last several moments and God we've unpacked your word and we've used your illustration and we've given your principles your principles Jesus they're miraculous they're not just words on a page they're life they're not just verses or chapters in a dusty old book. They're supernatural. And if we will come to you and hear your words and do your words, Jesus, you said our foundation will be strong enough that no storm of life can attack it or tear it down. So Jesus, help us. Jesus, Heal us. Jesus, touch our homes tonight. On this first Wednesday night of family month, touch our homes tonight. Every variation of family that is here, give us wisdom and strength. But most of all, Jesus, give us forgiveness. You already set the bar very high. We could never match up to what you did, but we could at least obey your words. Help us to forgive. And in doing that, I know you will give peace and joy and blessing and strength. And so I pray those things over these people and everyone watching online right now in the name of Jesus. I'd like this great church to just come alive in worship to the Lord right now. Everybody, everybody, you can go home and heal your house tonight. You can go home and heal your house this week. You can go home and you can turn everything around just by forgiving. You really can. Let's stand to our feet. We just need to put some... Energy under that worship and just lift it up right now to the Lord lift up your hands lift up your voice Most of all and give praise to the Lord because he's gonna help you. He's gonna heal you. He's gonna touch you Yes, God touch our Husbands and wives. Touch our mothers and fathers. Touch our brothers and sisters. Touch our single parent families. That's such a challenge and such a struggle and and such an investment, God. Give them strength and touch them tonight. Please don't leave, Pastor, up here all by myself, worshiping God all by myself, praying. We need a wave of prayer to just kind of go back and forth across this sanctuary, kind of like the sloshing of water going back and forth right now. Because there's healing in that worship, there's healing in that prayer, there's healing in that praise yes Jesus yes Jesus yes Jesus I thank you for your help I thank you for your strength Holy Ghost I thank you Jesus